This is a Rooster Teeth production. In 1981, a Portland, Oregon arcade featured a gaming cabinet that seemed like any other. However, players soon reported migraines, nightmares, and symptoms of brainwashing. Not long after, the game was taken away by mysterious men in black suits never to be seen again. Today, we explore the puzzling story of Polybius. This is Red Web. We are back with another mystery on another Monday. I'm Trevor Collins. With me, as always, is Alfredo Diaz. How you doing? Wait, what? <laughs> Ooh, we got arcade cabinets. This sounds awesome. Yeah, I thought you'd like this one. Holy hell. Okay, so, oh my God, a mysterious arcade cabinet. People are getting sick. And then... Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, people in suits came and took it away. Like, I don't... I mean, I'm sure... I'm going to bank on there's being evidence that people in suits came and took it away. Yeah. Now, whether or not we have more concrete evidence past that, I don't know. But I'm going to bank on like we have that at least. Some hard evidence. Yeah. There's some tangible stuff behind that. Oh, man. I don't know. This sounds awesome. You and I, we play video games for, you know, the, the pod, this is what this is our like passion project, this uh, Red Web podcast. But I mean, our, our nine to five is is. You know, creating let's play videos and playing video games, which is yeah, you know, awesome. We're blessed to do so. But I'm intrigued to learn like what kind of video game, how many players, like, <laughs> <laughs> and where can I play this game? The gamer in me was like, "What are we talking about here?" Yeah, well, yeah, this is a really, really interesting one coming from deep in the '80s. Like I said, it's over in Portland, Oregon, is where this all goes down. And Polybius is simply an arcade cabinet. But this mystery is going to be a little unlike a lot of the other ones we've discussed. We're going to go through, obviously, the overview, everything we know about Polybius. And then we're going to dive a little bit into a case study around this product here. But then when we go into the theories, there's a little it's a little bit different. There's a lot of meat to discuss in the theories section. It's just one of those mysteries. And I'll trickle out some new information kind of in the theories as well. But this is a really fun one. So I'm super excited about it. Super excited to hear how you react to some of these uh, to these moments. But without further ado, let's dive into Polybius. So October of 1981, there is this mysterious arcade game that appears in a handful of arcades, only a few, but specifically Coin Kingdom in Portland, Oregon is where we're going to be focusing. It was supposedly serviced more than any other game at the arcade at that time. It was compared to another game that you might be aware of called Atari's Tempest. Tempest, for those who aren't familiar with it, it's a fast-paced puzzle game with very disorienting graphics, especially for the early 80s. Uh, Fredo, we'll show you some pictures of that. For everyone listening at home, at RedWebPod on Twitter is where we're going to post some uh, photos so you can get an idea of what kind of this Tempest game looks like, because this is probably the closest approximation for Polybius and its game style. Whoa, this is the Tempest. I'm looking at the picture. Yeah, this, is, uh -huh. this seems like an old school arcade type of puzzle game. I'm not seeing how. Okay. Oh, gameplay footage. All right. See, the thing is, like, you know, a video game will come out. If it's successful, you know, other people will kind of, like, release a video game that's similar, but with maybe their spin or their take on it. Right. You know, that's why we don't have only, like, one type of puzzle game or one type of uh, FPS game, a shooter game. Sure. So the gamer in me goes, oh, okay, you know, Tempest is probably, like, super popular, and so this company wanted to essentially 
cash in on that same type of game, that same genre of game. Mm -hmm. uh, but the Red Web Task Force behind the chair, not field agent officer in me goes, <laughs> hmm, maybe they just mimic this uh, just because it was popular and they it's want to get as many people on it. Yeah, it was a front. It was a bait. Yeah. It was a bait and switch. Well, what's interesting, too, and I, I just thought of a modern comp for this game, Geometry Wars. Oh, yeah. One of our coworkers, uh, Jack Patillo, who also runs Annual Pass, the podcast, loves this game. Uh, there's several iterations of it, but it's kind of like an 80s version of Geometry Wars. But for some more insight into the gameplay of Polybius, it's described to have featured colorful geometric shapes that bended and folded from a center portal. Uh, some gamers kind of described the experience of playing it as somewhat of an acid trip, if that helps you kind of get an idea for the, uh, the psychoactivity going on. But the game supposedly produced this intense psychoactive and addictive effects in the player, and it was supposedly very disorienting and very confusing. A lot of the gamers who tried this game couldn't stop playing it and began acting strange, exhibiting a lot of different symptoms. Most of the popular ones including nausea, stress, horrific nightmares, seizures, and an inability to control one's own thoughts, which I think is probably the most interesting one. The fact that a player coming off of this game, of course, any of these symptoms would be terrible. Yeah, that's, that sounds a little freaky. Yeah. But the fact that you feel like you can't control your own train of thought is very interesting and definitely something that we're going to focus on here in this in this episode. So back to the description of Polybius. It was supposedly advanced for its time. As you can imagine, Tempest was quite advanced for its time, but Polybius was a leg up. The intense combination of vector and raster graphics was supposedly impossible to create back in the 1980s, or at least in 81 as gaming technology hadn't advanced enough to be able to do so, to have the kind of graphics that this game did. And so this kind of lays the groundwork for some of our theories. So if you wanna go ahead and put a pin in this, I would suggest it. But with regard to the aforementioned graphics, a lot of people think that it is these hyper-advanced graphics that made the mind susceptible to the potential for subliminal messaging from perhaps the US government or perhaps some other nefarious parties. But that is center to this particular mystery, the idea of subliminal messages coming out of this game. Oh God, we've been gamers for so long now, and there, there's always like eras where a new game comes out or a new console comes out or a new graphics card, and it pushes the boundaries of what video game graphics can do. Are we talking like graphical leap? Like, oh, okay, this one looks, you know, distinguishedly better or just like, technology that hasn't existed before so i think it's the fact that they're using vector images and raster graphics yeah that provides such clarity to an image you know i'm not super informed with regards to graphics but it's certainly not the goings-on behind a video game but right. it sounds like it had advanced graphics for what was technically capable so they were delivering images and effects that no other game could possibly attempt because of how advanced it was Got it. so a lot of people are like oh because of these advanced effects, we don't know, are there subliminal messages being issued from these effects? Right. And and kind of like you're saying, I mean, there's always, there's an ebb and flow in, in the gaming industry, which is that there's some sort of ulterior motive here, right? That gaming is bad for the mind, that it causes this, that it does that. And I think that this could be a part of that conversation. You know, every game that really pushes the boundary whether it be VR or augmented reality or something like that, we'll always have a little bit of conversation around what's actually going on here. Is is there something 
darker behind the scenes? Should this discontinue? Mm -hmm. And that's just kind of the human reaction to something new. And But it is interesting that this game is coming out in 81 with tech that supposedly wasn't meant to exist or hadn't existed yet. Yeah, I think that's an interesting part of that. Um, it seems more like, yeah, this is this shouldn't be possible as opposed to like, oh, it's just like a, you know, uh, a new graphic jump in, in the video game kind of like tech. And then you couple that with the idea that these cabinets kind of just appeared. It really starts to get interesting. But before we continue, I want to talk just briefly about two teenagers that supposedly disappeared after having played Polybius. Now, this happened in October of 1981. A boy named Bobby Feldstein, who regularly played the game, as he claims, quote, things started to go wrong in his head. His unease grew even after he left the arcade to go home, and he claimed that a mysterious group of figures had entered his home, whereupon he was then paralyzed and he blacked out. Upon waking up, he said he was bound and kept somewhere deep underground. He had no idea where he was, and he was approached by yet another boy uh, who was badly mangled, and they freed him. So upon getting freed by this mysterious boy, they fled through a network of tunnels and Bobby claimed that they were followed the entire time as they tried to escape. Ultimately, when they did escape, the mangled boy had disappeared. Bobby couldn't find him and had no idea where he was finding himself, ultimately finding himself approximately 60 miles away from Portland, deep in a forest, and that's about 97 kilometers. But he did manage to make his way home to explain what happened to him. Unsurprisingly though, it didn't seem that anyone believed him. Now this is really where things start to go off the rails and get a little mysterious. I feel like, I don't know if it's because it's the 80s or whatever, but this is really giving me that Stranger Things vibe, right? When they're yeah. in that secret facility, kind of going through all the tunnels. Interesting, if uh, this is a, his firsthand account, I think I think the thing about that is that if, if people are saying that playing this game gives them nightmares and makes them like hallucinate and, and go kind of wild and crazy, I feel like this could be something that just goes, you know, hand in hand with that. Yeah. As opposed to being something that actually happened. That's a great point. So maybe this was like a dream or a nightmare of some sort. Yeah. Wow. That's what, that's what I'm kind of leaning on right with that. Yeah. Well, especially, especially that's a great point, because if he ended up home and he blacks out and he passes out. Mm -hmm. I mean, that literally could just be him falling asleep. And maybe it's a very vivid dream, very deep sleep. Yep. Yeah. Well, we'll pin this. We'll keep this in the back of our minds as we continue. But let's kind of go back to the overview of the cabinet now. So I referred earlier to these men in black suits. Now, this is the same men in black that we have lightly touched on before in previous uh, mysteries. Again, maybe there's a whole episode within this topic, but the men in black are supposedly mysterious, I want to say CIA, but like government officials that have no obvious affiliation. We don't know what, what agency they might be with outside of maybe some sort of secret agency. Now, these men in black periodically came by, opened the machine every single week and recorded data from this machine. And it didn't seem like they had any interest in the money the coins, the quarters, whatever that were used in the machine, mostly focusing on whatever data they were pulling out. That, okay, so that, that's wild. Very. Because it's not like they came one time, grabbed data, record mm -hmm. some stuff, and then bounce. Right. They, they were coming back again and again and again. Yeah, every week on the dot. And it's not like, oh. it's not like people are always coming to the arcade to be like, yeah, I gotta work on the Jumanji pinball machine again. You know, it's just not like that. You'd Yeah, you'd hope that it's not a weekly thing that someone has to come fix the pinball machine. Right. You know, you know, Steve, uh, the old handyman comes out and he, he fixes up the thing. This is like some, some mysterious boys in black suits coming out. That's... That's so, mm, man. I mean, this is the 80s too. So, I mean, they had to, you know, they had video recorders and stuff. Granted, you know, they're 
<laughs> bigger devices. Uh huh. Oh man, it just it would have been cool to see like a a photo or something. Right. Oh. Well, maybe this is a, and I don't want to get ahead of the theory section, but I can't help but think like, what if this is like one of the raddest video games of all time, and that these stories are planted, and that as a marketing scheme. You know, maybe the developers are in Portland and they say, let's dress up in suits and go open our machine every week. Really get the people talking. That is that is funny. I feel like every mystery could just be a, a marketing scheme. At the end <laughs> right. Of the day. It's just kind of ahead of its time at that point, though. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's so interesting that they came back often. Mm -hmm. at, at that point, if I'm the owner of this store, I'd be like, well, OK, what's going on here? Because these people are coming. I don't know. Right. Because. I would assume that you you own the store, you own the machines. Mm -hmm. I think you might rent them, like you get a portion. I'm not exactly sure how it worked back then. But even then, I'd be like, okay, what's going on here that you guys are coming out every single week? Right. Maybe there was a deal struck under the table and they're like, hey, we'll give you this machine for free. It's going to have copious amounts of quarters that you can keep all of them. We just want the data. I don't know. Oh, man. See, yeah, that's the crazy thing where it's just like, oh, man, I just wish we knew. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I know, I right? I because yeah. it's so weird to be that store owner. And then all of a sudden, like these people, you know, you get this game in and then all of a sudden these people are coming in and just every week looking at the damn game. Like that's, you know what I mean? That's not something just like, oh, all right, they're here again doing their thing. And that game's out of commission while they're recording data and stuff. It, I would just be like, all right, what's going on here? Or maybe uh, I don't want to mess with this machine anymore, Mr. Sir. Like, can you, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't want these uh, agents popping up. But yeah, what's what's interesting and maybe, oh, I don't know. This is only going to add more confusion. This is just going to go off the rails with confusion. But a month after it appeared, okay, this mysterious arcade game vanished without a warning, just disappeared from the store. And it is reported that it was taken by these men in black suits and that they, they left no trace of this game's existence. It's believed that not a single original copy of the game file exists to this day. And when people start to look back to find evidence of Polybius and its footprint, the earliest known discussion seems to stem from a conversation in 1998 when a mysterious description appeared on a vintage gaming website called coinop.com. Now for the sake of this, I do wanna mention this, but we will address it later, but it is worth mentioning that there's there seems to be claims of Usenet discussions regarding Polybius going as far back as 1994. And again, we'll address that in the theories section. But when it comes to CoinOp, the entry stated that, quote, the game had a very limited release of one or two backwater arcades in the suburb Portland. So here we have it. We have evidence now that there's one or two, at least to our best knowledge, in existence. The CoinOp post seems to also discuss the kids who played the game that were affected by it stopped playing the game or video games altogether. Some of them actually becoming big anti-video game crusaders. Uh, and that's interesting to note because, you know, we talk a little bit about brainwashing uh, and subliminal messaging. It calls into question, is this game hyper addictive with the intent of capturing the most passionate gamers and turning them against the idea or the industry that is video games? Oh man, maybe it's just because we're in the industry, but that just seems like so much effort for people that just play video games. Yep, it does. You can take that and do so many other things with that if it actually works. Like, that's wild. Right. Like, these gamers all started their own charities and non-for-profits. <laughs> but no, instead they just became, ah, video games suck. Right? angry at the game. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. I, this is fascinating. Yeah, I think I do think it's very, very fascinating. And I think that, you know, I mean, if if these are gamers that are really addicted to gaming 
I don't think I would ever come across a game that would make me go. I mean, I'm on the far, far end of the spectrum, right? Like it's my career and everything like that. But mm-hmm. I don't think I would. Man, I just don't think I'd sit there and go. Do you know what? This one game. Nah, I'm good. I don't want to play video games ever again. You know, <laughs> like I don't think there'd be one. I just go. This is a terrible game or I didn't Not like unless that game. it twisted your mind. Yeah, I just can't see there being like one game. I was like, never again. I don't know. The power of subliminal messaging. We, we You just don't know. Or do you? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but when it comes to the coin-op, it was 25 years after Polybius appeared. So now we're in 2006. This is eight years after the initial discussion on coin-op. Someone named Stephen Roach came forward on the coin-op comment section, and he claimed that Polybius was created by a company that he and a few other naive programmers began called Sinisloja which is German for sensory extinction and Swedish for deletion. They were hired by a separate South American company to do the work, and he claimed that there was no intention for players to get hurt. As for the men in black, he said that that was just a rumor and one that he didn't really want to be associated with. And I don't really blame him. I don't want to be associated with an anonymous government agency as well. Yeah, hell no. But ultimately, he explains that they were, quote, merely in over their heads with their advanced dangerous graphics. And I think that uh, that there's some validity here that they opened themselves up to the people, the powers that be perhaps that don't really like video games that might attack you for being on the frontier of it. And the fact that they had advanced dangerous graphics that people weren't familiar with that can cause various ranges of problems for people. Maybe uh, they just didn't know what they were messing with. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, but still, if, if they're saying that people came by, I mean, it's a rumor, but I don't know, like, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I It just feels so weird to be like, yeah, you know, those people that came by like every week. It was just a rumor. It never happened. Like it wasn't a thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't know what the camera situation was in 1981. The security cameras, that is like CCTV. But man, is it. it oh, I just I, I'm with you. Right? I wish that there was something to be like, no, here they are. And here's that machine. And that's the thing where in the beginning of the episode, I went, I'm banking on like, that is real, that that really happened, that these people were coming over and, and checking out this game and they, they took it away or whatnot. But now it's like, was it the creators were saying that um, it's just a rumor that they, that they didn't want to be a part of? Well, it sounds like this Stephen Roach is the one who's claiming to have been a part of a small group of programmers that created it. So he's saying that, yeah, they created it. They were in over their heads. Uh, they were hired by a different company to do this work. So it wasn't even their idea. And that everything is kind of just a rumor outside of perhaps people getting hurt or having various symptoms. But what's interesting, and this is already several years after the 98 initiation of this conversation on CoinOp. This is 2006, but it gets stranger because three years even after this, I can't believe the conversation's still alive. But in 2009, that CoinOp article was amended to have this added to it. Quote, Stephen Roach is full of himself and knows nothing about the game, end quote. Basically, someone's coming out to say, this guy is just making things up. He has nothing to do with this game. He didn't create it. His claims are a farce. And we'll kind of dive into more behind this in the theories section, this kind of rebuttal and who perpetuated this conversation. But it's interesting. It almost feels like people have a stake in this, like that there are sides being taken, but it's just like an arcade cabinet from decades ago. I I don't know. I, I completely agree. It oddly enough feels like there's a lot, like there's some kind of weird war on the back end going yeah. on that hasn't surfaced yet. And it's really interesting seeing um, people be very, very passionate about what seems like something super 
Uh, I grant it, yes, awkward, weird, but I'm right now not taking it too seriously, right? Like, mm -hmm. I just don't know, like, we don't have any, like, I don't know, medical records or police records or any professionals that came forth and right. said, like, this is what's going on and this is crazy and this is what's happening. It's just kind of like, hey, this, it all is falling, it's all starting to fall into rumors. Exactly. So far, it all just seems like he said, she said, everyone's saying. It's a lot of claims. Yes. Uh, interesting, to say the least, uh, but definitely still just claims. Now, this is where things still continue to get a little stranger. So feel free to stop me if you're just confused. Mm -hmm. uh, but Coinop personnel also claimed that they were planning to sort it out by flying to the Ukraine. Now, I don't know exactly what they plan to sort out or how they're going to sort it out by going to the Ukraine. And no information ever came of that trip. There's no evidence of them going to the Ukraine. So this is just a very confusing piece of the puzzle here. But I did want to mention it. But uh, the last thing with regards to CoinOp, the last thing that was left on that forum was from a user, Sinisloshin. So just for those who have that astute memory, Sinisloshin, I mentioned earlier, this is that same word, but now with an N at the end of it. Uh, I'll translate that to English uh, later on. But this user with a very similar name to one that we just heard out of Stephen Roach's uh, mouth or his hands, I guess, as he's typing, uh, it seems to indicate that maybe this is someone related to Stephen Roach or maybe it's the same person or someone within his circle. But in 2009, whoever this user was, they left a comment saying, quote, and it gets strange, so I'm just going to quote it here, orator. HTTP colon slash slash 615.2410.ath.cx slash. If you know something and want to collaborate, Polybius is real. And then it gives an email at the end of that. Uh, another random sounding email that I won't bother putting here. If that's a website you type into your browser, by the way, proceed with caution. I haven't even gone to it and uh, I don't know if it's live, but just be mindful of where you click. But ultimately CoinOp didn't respond to this and it is unknown if this is a real user or a troll user. But this is where I want to kind of close the book on CoinOp and the, the kind of confusing ongoing discussion there. Uh, it seems like the, the more we look in there, the more just open-ended puzzles we get and the less pieces we get to the established puzzles. It just starts to get more confusing. So as we kind of mentioned, this really lies in the realm of storytelling and claims. It, it starts to feel a little bit like an urban legend, and we don't know for a fact whether Polybius exists or doesn't exist at this point in time, based on everything that we can know. But that hasn't stopped the imagination of gamers from attempting to get to the bottom of whatever uh, whatever this mystery has in store. In fact, in 2012, there was another interesting event that happened that kind of kept this mystery going and breathed a little bit of new life into it. There was a Brooklyn bar by the name of Barcade that actually created a Polybius cabinet for Halloween of 2012. I'm not sure if this was a playable game or if this was just to look the way it looked, but it became, it was so believable. And when they posted it on their Instagram, there was someone that came forward and that was named Broyo Mofo. And they wrote a comment saying, quote, please tell me you didn't activate that machine and that it's simply a gag decoration of some sort. He also stated that he had played the original game and suffered a seizure at the time of playing it and that he had become addicted to the point where he wanted to keep on playing for reasons that he could not even remember. He also explained that as a result, and I do want to say trigger warning here for a second, uh, he attempted suicide. And this is the story that this unknown user claims on these posts with the regards to the plebeius cabinet. Now, when people went to the profile for this user, 
it seems that it's a dead account, that there's no followers, there's no photos, there's no activity whatsoever, just the name Jake in the bio section. So again, it's really hard to say if there's any material substance here or if it's people just kind of perpetuating a story. I'd have to lean towards that, right? Because CoinOp made it such a big public thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's a, that's just where I got to lean towards. Yeah. Kudos to that person for making it so believable that, you know, someone wanted to either, you know, warn them for real or it was just like a, you know, hey, I'll, I'll jump in on on this story. I want to be a part of this. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they maybe they just stepped into a realm that they weren't fully prepared for and that uh I don't know, man. This is it's deeply fascinating, but um, and and again, we'll we'll dive into the, all of the potential angles here in the theories, but it's it's hard to hold our own opinions back, right? Because here's what we've got: a lot of, albeit fascinating, but a lot of claims, no real material evidence so far. Do get anything? Do get anything that says like, yes, this this was what really happened. Yeah. We actually do have some supposed photos of the gaming cabinets, and I've just dropped those in for you guys to take a look. All right. That's weird. Yep. I mean, it looks super simple, like just one joystick and one button. Why is the button so far away from the joystick? Looks like there's maybe three, but like two black buttons and a blue button, and on the right side and the left side with one joystick in the middle. Very simple. Very, very simple. Oh, yeah. See, this one's different. This one's a one red with one white button. The first one I'm looking at looks like it's a red joystick on the far left. Maybe four buttons, one in each corner if you put a square on said joystick. Yeah. Far right, one white button, nothing in the middle. And I'm talking about like on the other end of this. Right. On the cap. Like, that's so weird that the button would be all the way across. Look at the TV placement. One's like facing you as you were standing up and one is facing up at you as if you're looking down at it. Yes, that's good too. And the one that with the, it's one joystick, two purple buttons on each side, and then angled black buttons. Yeah. Oh man, okay. I mean, these appear to be the same game, but just layered differently, which is, yeah. that is random as hell. That's just so, yeah, that's not a thing. <laughs> right, I mean, it's also got the same font, but different colors. One's kind of yeah. like a, a grayish, a lightish uh, teal, and then the other one's more yellowish and white. It's, um, I mean, if you take it at face value, right, the stories that we're hearing with regards to data being pulled out of these, that there is maybe some sort of subliminal messaging, some sort of uh, some testing or whatever data they're collecting, maybe these two different layouts or two different machines are actually collecting different data points in that there's, I don't know, I'm just openly theorizing, but maybe there's some different intent behind the two different forms. It sounds like you play this game and you're going to get some mind melt and you're going to come out with some weird experience and you're going to not be believed. Again, if you take these stories at face value and this game is really kind of stirring up your thoughts in a strange way, it's putting you into a, an incredulous situation uh, or it puts you in a place where people aren't maybe going to believe you. I, I don't know. It's, uh, again, just fascinating. It's it's very very interesting stuff. Well, though that's the information we have. That's uh, the frustratingly limited information we have regarding the the plebeius story or the plebeius I don't know uh, <laughs> myth oh. or whatever. Um, it really isn't a whole lot, but um, I do want to dive into the theories. And like I said, there's a lot of information here in the theories. It's just one of those vague mysteries that doesn't have a whole lot on the bone until you start trying to solve it via some sort of theory. And some of these theories have information from documentarians such as Todd Luoto, John Frechette, and Dylan Reif. 
all of whom gathered information for their film that aired in uh, in fall of 2017 called The Polybius Conspiracy. So I want to give credit where credit is due. These gentlemen have done a lot to uh, to kind of dive into this. And, uh, and if you want more information, they do have that documentary. It's not a sponsor or anything, but it does exist. Hello, Task Force. Trevor Collins here again, as always, to talk to you directly, put my voice directly into your eardrums and resonate around, rattle your hammer bone or whatever they're called. And, uh, and then your brain will interpret this as meaning. I just want to thank you all so much for supporting our merch, by the way, store.roosterteeth.com. The pins have sold out again, so I'm bugging our e-commerce team to refresh those. We still have the long sleeves and our hoodies. Oh, I'm getting paged. Yes, that's modern technology on my Red Web Task Force pager. Yes, the hoodies are in fact in the store now as of the release of this podcast. So you can go get the limited edition one. We put a new one out, a different color scheme on that. And we also refreshed the other hoodie that we have already had in the store. So go get yourself some, join the task force, represent. Thank you all again. I just wanted to say that for showing your support. We see all the tweets with everyone making different outfits out of our task force merch, representing the pin in a bunch of dope ways. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you uh, from us to you. And keep an eye out, too. I, I'm trying to work with them on creating some really custom products, some bespoke collections around Red Web, and maybe a take-home mystery for you to play at home. I don't know. The ideas are out there, and we'll see what we can come up with, but we'll keep you posted here on the in-betweens. But with that said, let's talk about some of the sponsors for today's episode. Today's episode of Red Web is sponsored by HelloFresh. When it comes to grocery shopping, are you sick and tired of all the stress, planning, and let's be honest... Thinking in general that comes with going to the store and getting all your food will take all that nonsense out of your life. Just have fun preparing delicious home-cooked meals with HelloFresh. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit, and for good reason. They've got a whole host of options from 30-minute meals, quick and easy meals, 15 to 20 minute dinners, breakfasts on the go, and much, much more. But the choices don't stop there. They also offer at least 27 recipes a week from vegetarian meals, calorie smart choices, craft burgers, and extra special gourmet options. With something for everyone, you'll never have to argue about what to have for dinner ever again. I was able to get some meals from HelloFresh and the experience is super easy. It shows up right on your doorstep. You get just enough produce to make the meals that you need. Get those healthy, pre-measured proportions. If you're diet conscious like I am, I try to get my protein in, but I don't want to overdo the carbs, you know what I'm saying? They really help out with that. And they're always tasty and it makes me feel like I'm an actual chef, so I impress my girlfriend. But I also cook with her sometimes so she knows that I'm just cheating and using their very simple instructions. <laughs> but go to HelloFresh.com slash RedWeb12, that's R-E-D-W-E-B-1-2, and use code RedWeb12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash RedWeb12, and use code RedWeb12 for 12 free meals and free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit, and who doesn't love 12 free meals? This episode of RedWeb is also sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. There can be a lot of misunderstanding of what therapy is, but it doesn't have to be sitting around talking about your feelings all day. Therapy can be whatever you want it to be. And while it does involve talking, the point is that you're in charge when it comes to what you focus on. Talking to BetterHelp therapists can help you get an outside perspective, develop new emotional tools, and work through things that might be holding you back. 
I found their website to be very easy to use. They have a quiz right at the top if you go to their website, and it allows them to figure out exactly how they can help you, whether you're in a couple, whether you're looking for help for your child or for yourself, or all the various things that one might need help with. I found that quiz to be very quick and easy, and I enjoy how specific they can get when it comes to helping you with your needs. BetterHelp is online therapy, so it offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. If you're not comfortable being on camera, you don't even have to be, and that's the joy. Plus, BetterHelp is more affordable than in-person therapy, so you don't have to worry about getting in your car and going somewhere. You can start communicating with your therapist right away, online, in under 48 hours, so it's super convenient in that way. RedWeb is sponsored by BetterHelp, and our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash RedWeb. That's BetterHelp.com slash RedWeb to get 10% off your first month. Now, with that said, let's jump right back into the mystery. So the first theory that I want to kind of talk about is, is one that we have discussed before in that this could have been part of Project MKUltra. It's probably worth an entire episode in and of itself at this point. But right. MKUltra was a top secret CIA project in which the agency conducted hundreds of experiments, sometimes on unwitting U.S. citizens. In these experiments, they did things like using LSD and other drugs to test their ability to control the mind, to gather information, and even to see if there is a way to use psychological torture via LSD and drugs. It's very dark, but it is 100% something that happened. You can look at some of the declassified documents regarding this whole project. That said, a lot of them are missing. A lot of them are either destroyed or weren't kept properly because they didn't keep good records for this, uh, this program. And as you can imagine, right, like, if you're messing with your own citizens, especially if they don't even know it, leaves you open to some uh, some well-earned hate, right? You're going to get yourself into some hot water. Yeah. And especially because MKUltra lasted from 1953 to 1973, that's 20 years. So long. That's a lot of time. And now it makes me start to think, you know, maybe this is why there's a lot of mysteries in the mid-century. You know, are they pumping LSD into public water supplies and then people start seeing mothmans and Jersey devils flying about? Who knows? You're connecting these dots. Connecting connect these wild dots. dots. I'm creating a monster universe, a mystery cinematic universe with these. <laughs> yeah. But more than, in the end of this whole thing, more than 150 human experiments involving psychedelic drugs, paralytics, and electroshock therapy oh. were all made public uh, in 1975. Most of these tests did take place during the first half of that window, somewhere between 1953 and 1964, but it's not clear at the end of the day how many people were involved. And this could have very well extended out into the realm of arcades, especially because they became so popular in uh, in this time frame. Now, obviously 81 is after the flight of MKUltra. But who's to say, man, that the government ha doesn't have some sort of not declassified, uh, still top secret study going on? I, I don't know, man. Yeah, they just uh, took it behind closed doors after that and got really secretive about it. Probably changed the name and everything like that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And what's further compounding the nefarious nature of this is that the U.S. government did, in fact, recruit Nazi scientists through a plea bargain agreement in what became known as Operation Paperclip. That's true, factual, you can look it up. I don't know if you've heard about that, Fredo, but 
Um, essentially, there's a lot of brilliant minds that were stuck in Nazi Germany. Whether they agreed with that ideology or not, there were brilliant minds over there. And so as part of a plea bargain to flee that space and come to the United States under protection, they would agree to help American scientists develop technology, whether they were drugs or electronics or, or such experiments as the MK Ultra project. Um, but that is the loose and fast of Operation Paperclip. But again, kind of coming back to the, the idea of arcades and video games becoming popular, it's theorized that this is where the government attempted to capitalize on this growing trend and they used Polybius as an experiment, perhaps like a Trojan horse, as it were, where they planted it in specific arcades, gathered information from users that used it. They weren't super incognito about it. They were they not were incognito in at Once all. a week and busting that thing open going, right. oh, let's, take, let's get all the data. <laughs> right. You can't be walking in there dripping head to toe in men's warehouse and say, nah, I'm meant to be here. Slap yourself on like a Papa John's hat or a Domino's hat or whatever. A regular person outfit and slip in there. Try and do something, put like some kind of I don't know what you know our arcade repairmen look like, but right, I don't know. I, I would, I, just, I don't know, slap something on there, not a suit, yeah, not a suit, right? Like, man, I want to start a business now, though. I want to be like dressed to the nines, handyman's, you know, we're gonna be out there wearing <laughs> suits and we fix everything with a hammer. <laughs> Man, those suits, they'd be so expensive just to maintain the suits. <laughs> right. At what point do you just go, this is too expensive, but we still got the suits. So let's just run around in dirty suits. <laughs> dirty suits or we're the most expensive repair people around, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, you can go for those guys. They'll fix our Tetris machine for 10 bucks or... We can go for those guys. They'll show up once a week for $1,000, dressed to the nines, shiny shoes and everything. They won't fix anything, but they'll start some rumors. It's like, why are you guys more expensive? Is the service and quality better? No, we're just easier to look at. You just gesture. You just say, look at us. Look at this. You kidding? Yeah, you see, you're looking at this drip right now. <laughs> you got to respect this. Oh, my God. But, I mean, yeah, that's very interesting, you know, and, and a bunch of unwitting kids come rolling up to these machines and say, hey, this is a fun looking game, new game out here. And they get their mind wiped or toiled with or, or something. I don't know. But that's what this theory kind of attempts to connect the dots on is that maybe this was an extension of factually established project. You know, the unprecedented flashing lights of the game were perhaps used to implement that subliminal messaging that I talked about before. And maybe the government was planting ideas or, or again, since these men in black were gathering uh, results from this messaging or this data, perhaps it was, uh, it wasn't so much of planting ideas as it was gathering behavioral data from gamers. I mean, that is certainly not strange to think about to this day. Nope. You, you open up your phone, it scans your face a thousand times over. It's data is everywhere. And maybe this was just like the first kind of instance of that. Because there was no internet, not really. I mean, like, this is 81. This is, how do you get that information without a Trojan horse planted where you know the gamers are going to be? That's just so wild that they would be looking so obvious. Like, who the hell wears a suit to an arcade? Like, I think that's just ignorance, you know? Whoa. What are they going to say? Are they going to, they're not going to know what we're doing. They're just regular people. Whatever, we'll walk in there, grab our stuff and leave. That is just so wild that they're smart enough to do that, but not smart enough to just go, all right, maybe not the suits. You know I, mean? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> this is like anything else but suits. Right. It, I don't know. Maybe looking back, it's just like it was obvious, but uh, going into it, maybe they're just like, 
Nah, I look good, though. And they just didn't care. Maybe they just didn't overthink it. Oh, man, I would overthink it. I don't know. If you're doing something secret, maybe, you know what, government, because you're listening, uh, don't change what you're doing. Keep doing it this way. <laughs> Stand out like a sore thumb. It really helps us ID some things. We're not going to give you some assistance on how to brainwash our children in the arcades. Silly. How to be, yeah, how to be quieter and move within the shadows. <laughs> but yeah, ultimately it's unknown um, what these subliminal messages would have been because it seems like, symptoms wise, it seems like a lot of confusion was had and a lot of, it was more health concerns than anything. So that's that theory. It, it does sound compelling given it's grounded in reality. Albeit it is at the uh, the more extreme reality, right? These are the more fanciful realities that we we have. I I mean I can see I can see it. I mean it's way past MK Ultra, but like I don't know. Like this is something I can get behind, where it's just the government messing around with it. Being, uh, the, the, the tuxedo parts, the suits, it's just so weird, right? But I, I can see them trying to gather data. Yeah. So I, I do believe that these cabinets existed and that these cabinets did some weird things. Yeah. That that being said, that you know, that's why I lean into the government theory, because who else would be doing this except for like, you know, some type of like the government or some type of division of the government that's like, you know, on the back end that no one knows about? Well, that is a fantastic question, because that's kind of where this next theory enters. I'm going to distill this one a little bit because uh, we don't have a whole lot of information. This is kind of. Again, one of those situations where it's claims rather than material facts. So I'll just dive into it. Uh, and that ultimately this this theory purports that this is private corporation brainwashing rather than uh, government-based uh, manipulation of some kind. So documentarian Dylan Reif stated that according to video game historian and Polybius expert Kat Despira, and I'm going to quote her a few times here, quote, there was in fact a man named Stephen Roach who used to run these behavioral modification programs. His company was based in Mexico, but they actually belonged to an institution of some sort that was global. What they used to do was a child reform academy that used behavioral modification and it implied some sort of brainwashing, but obviously not digital. But that ended up getting shut down by the government authorities because of the abusive practices that Stephen and his wife were supposedly involved in, and now he is a man on the run. What the hell? That, that's all quoted from Cat Despira. Now it's uncertain if this Steve Roach is the same Steve Roach as the one we discussed earlier. You know, the one who posted on Coin Op. Right. You know, so we have Fugitive Steve Roach and we have a Coin Op uh, poster Steve Roach. Now, this could be an imitation. This could be fake. This could be, I don't know. But whoever it is claimed that a company called Sinisloitian commissioned the game, right? So. This kind of does dovetail in with what the Stephen Roach earlier was saying, that this was a commissioned game, that they were involved, but they had nothing to do with it being as, uh, as bad as it was, right? Having negative effects on people. So this does kind of line up with the claims earlier, but ultimately what the brainwashing uh, is supposed to do, we have no idea. Like, it's just, it seems like Cat Despira here is connecting some dots, but is not offering any other answers outside of that. Like, what, what's the purpose of this corporate brainwashing? Is it to keep people playing the game? Was it just entirely accidental that people were, were having bad experiences with this? I think the only uh, last interesting thing regarding this theory here is that Sinisloshin, right, kind of translates to Swedish or German. There's two different translations here, but one is sensory erasure. That's in German. And if you translate it from Swedish, it translates to deletion of mind. 
So I don't know. Hmm. Maybe uh, maybe it's just out here trying to wipe people's minds and that's it. Some dark global entity hired this Stephen Roach and his, his pals and they ignorantly made what was asked of them and will never know the real culprit. But I don't know, that's, that's very fanciful. I don't know, maybe like, uh, offer like 20 bucks for people to test out a video game, you know what I mean? And then change locations or something like that. That way they can come in and play games. You could re really record it. Like how much can you actually record? If, yeah. like if you're, if you're not there and it, you know what I mean like is there a camera like, like what kind of data are we looking at you know that's yeah I mean that's what's kind of picking my mind right now maybe it's the data of like what the users inputs are like in coordination with what they're seeing so the game knows what it's displaying and knows what level they're at or whatever and so it's saying this user played a this way this user moved this way this user addressed this puzzle that way um i don't know i don't know this this theory is interesting uh if nothing else that it just purports that it is some sort of brainwashing device it doesn't really say what the motive is it doesn't say anything outside of that it's just this individual is trying to connect some dots and say polybius was meant as a brainwashing device the end yeah i mean if, if what everyone was saying is is true and it adds up then yeah you know i i can i can see that they want to make a brainwashing device and it just slightly hit the mark and so they're just testing it out mm -hmm. so the next theory i want to talk about kind of takes a veer in an opposite direction so while the mk ultra tries to plant this mystery firmly in our very strange but true reality uh this next theory kind of just says that Hey, maybe this doesn't exist. Maybe this is simply a hoax. Because in his own investigation of Polybius, we have filmmaker and journalist Stuart Brown, who is claiming that he could not find any concrete evidence of the story's existence until 2000. So that really goes against the grain of the 1998 uh, yeah. coin op story that that is where it first popped up. Stuart's saying, I can't find anything until 2000 which really starts to shake up the already very sparse story that we have, right? Uh, until 2000? Mm-hmm. So then what was all the coin-op stuff? Well, that's interesting that you should ask that because he is concluding, Stuart Brown, in his theory that this is a hoax, he's concluding that the story was a hoax created by Kurt Kohler, who happens to be the owner of CoinOp, and that this was an attempt to drive traffic to their website, and that this would explain the ardent stance that CoinOp seemed to take against Roach. Remember, I, I said that we would talk about this a little bit further uh, yeah. in the theories, right? The, the site really started to go after Stephen Roach, who was simply saying like, hey, I was involved with this, I made it, it's nothing to really think about. We were just in over our heads with some crazy graphics. And then Roach is like, no, no, it's this is a big mystery. Screw you, Steven. And, yeah. and so I can't, that kind of lines up with what, what Stuart Brown's laying down here. Oh, man. This weird, like, back-end war that seems now... I mean, yeah, I could, I could see... Right, because we already kind of talked about how, like, oh, it, it could be just the game devs and, like, marketing stuff. Uh -huh. But maybe it's just the website, right? Trying to get more mm. traffic. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, you know, maybe you just, uh, going to this theory, maybe you just have a one-off cabinet that did have some problems, right? That, like, that, that cropped up. That there's true stories revolving around Polybius, but nothing too dark. But then Kurt Kohler's over here saying he knows about it in some way, and he wanted to use that to create some sort of tentpole event where people would go to his website to discuss 
this mystery that he blew way out of proportion. And when someone with uh, a background or uh, some concrete evidence regarding Polybius steps forward and says, eh, it's not really like that, then the site itself says, eh, screw that guy. Uh, and that's where that kind of argument went down. It's interesting. Right. I, you know, and I can absolutely see that. I can see this being just a regular cabinet uh, that became a hoax. Yeah. Like none of it was real or what? Oh, man. But then what about the. Oh, it's like shaky in every direction. I know. It's. It's. This is such a deeply fascinating topic, but it's frustratingly shaky in a lot of different ways because there's so much just this person says, they say, whatever. But you remember earlier I mentioned that some some users on the internet claimed that there were even earlier mentions of Polybius back in 1994, as it were. And and so Brown now says, okay, well, let's address those claims because that is obviously not coin-op. So who is claiming that there are earlier stories of Polybius? Well, when he looked into it, he's theorizing that the 1994 Usenet conversations that some were citing as being the original Polybius discussion is in fact users misremembering discussions around a different mystery called uh, the Publius Enigma. So it's very, it's kind of similar in the name, and maybe this is a mystery worth diving into, but the Publius Enigma is a series of cryptic messages that were posted by a user named Publius uh, in the Pink Floyd Usenet group. Now, we've talked about news groups before and Usenet before, but it's a, it's essentially in a very layman's term kind of description of a Usenet. It's like an early internet, and there were a lot of themed uh, news groups that were like, hey, I like Pink Floyd, I'll go to this one. Um, and that's kind of what, what this was. Um, the Publius Enigma remains to be an unsolved puzzle. It was a phenomenon that supposedly related to the 1994 Pink Floyd album, but yeah, He's basically saying that there was another small mystery around that time with a name that could, if you were remembering back six plus years, maybe misconstrue the two names, Polybius and Publius. Um, that's how his theory kind of concludes. And that's how he's kind of sunsetting Polybius. What? That's what? That they were just remembering a different conspiracy theory that a lot? Whoa. Right. You know, just one of those other mysteries. <laughs> That's a, you know, obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but that seems like a first, like, no, they're talking about some other mystery, not right. this mystery. What? 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 <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Like if you're, if it, cause here's the thing, if you're like, Hey, do you remember that mystery in the early eighties? And you're talking about it in 1998 and you're like, yeah, I think I remember that. I just remember Polybius, Polybius, Polybius. Okay, well that, you know, uh, that's that's hitting some boxes. I think I remember that. Because like the Publius Enigma is like vague enough. It's not this huge mystery, but it's just surface level enough that people might recognize that. And then yeah. give it a few years. You could definitely, you know, see Polybius and Publius next to each other and you might mix them up. And that's kind of what he's leaning on. Yeah, I, I mean, I could see that. It's just so weird. But, oh, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't come. The names are close enough where, but I mean, like, what about the cabinets that were like different? Like, that's an actual thing. Yep. Well, that's kind of going to lead us nicely into the final theory that I want to talk about. And for this one, I do actually want to give some more information. And now this isn't necessarily on Polybius itself. This is just some contextual information that will help bring together this final theory. And I want to talk about multiple injuries being caused by arcade games. And then I want to talk about FBI investigations into things like that. And that'll lay the groundwork for where I'm heading. So there is a reported history of arcade games causing various injuries in 
and issues. That is not made up, and so basically I want to lay some groundwork, some proven groundwork, to say that maybe, maybe some of these stories regarding Polybius are real. So the following two incidents that I want to talk about took place on November 12th, 1981 in Portland. So simply a month after Polybius is hotcakes, right? Same area, same year, all of that. A 12-year-old boy named Brian Morrow got sick after playing asteroids for 28 hours. Damn. And then reported he was having stomach pain. Obviously, you should be uh, a young boy or a young anyone uh, playing a game for 28 hours. But man, he must have really loved asteroids. Yeah, but also like... Man, where are the parents? <laughs> yeah, One, where's the parents? And, 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 and two, that's the kind of stuff where people go, see, video games are bad for you. It's like, you know, anything <laughs> right. you're doing for that long, like, mm-hmm. it's going to be bad for you. Right. And I mean, if I read a book for 28 hours, I'm sure I would come out of that with some sort of neck cramp and stomach pain because I wasn't eating. But yeah. But here's the thing. At the same arcade, now I got to call into question the manager here, but at the same arcade, there was another young boy named Michael Lopez who was experiencing a migraine from the aforementioned Tempest game, right? We mentioned that before. It's a game very similar to Polybius, and uh, and he's getting migraines from playing that game. And later, he actually collapsed in pain in someone's yard. So whether it's directly related to Tempest or was correlated with playing Tempest kind of remains to be seen, but basically... There's a history here, but let's talk about some other people here. Jeff Daly suffered a heart attack and died after getting a high score on the game Berserk. Then we have Peter Bukowski, who also died of heart failure playing the very same game Berserk. Berserk's flashing lights and intense visual effects were attributed to the cause of the two unfortunate passing away. And basically to say that Polybius has some elements from a lot of the games mentioned here. And so it isn't strange to think that there's a possibility that any game, especially Polybius, could cause real life injuries. Yeah, and I mean, there's, you know, sometimes there's a lot of games with a lot of flashing lights and stuff like that, and they cause, you know, seizures and injuries. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, no, that's, that's a thing. I'm sure if you look it up, there are people who play video games that have video game injuries because of how long they're playing. Like Carpal Tunnel. I mean, even that. Yeah. Just repeated motion, you know? Yep. Yeah. Like my wrists are a little shoddy because of that. Just mm-hmm. playing all the, the many years of competitive and repetitive, like, FPS gameplay. Yeah. Well, the FBI stepped in to investigate these things, and I want to talk about that a little bit. Again, I'm building up here to talk about our final theory. So on November 22nd, 1981, that's 10 days after the Portland incidents involving Brian Morrow and Michael Lopez, it was reported that the FBI raided several arcades in the Portland area. The owners of the arcades were suspected to have used the machines for gambling, and weeks before the raid, FBI agents were monitoring the arcades and the cabinets for signs of tampering. So this could explain uh, the supposed men in black suits arriving at these locations. It could explain the sudden disappearance of a mysterious uh, cabinet that appeared nearly just a month before, right? Remember, it only stayed for about a month. Maybe there were listening devices or camera devices, or maybe it was just a false game. I don't know. That's me just kind of spitballing. But ultimately, it's theorized that Polybius may have been one of these games that was involved in the raid. Whether they planted it or whether they were investigating it, the theory just kind of states maybe Polybius was involved. Documentarian Todd Luoto stated, quote, Back in the early 80s, arcades weren't the safe haven that most thought they were. Drugs were a big part of what went on. Gambling was also a big thing as well. 
So Luoto further explained that the FBI came up to the Portland area and placed hidden cameras and actually tracked people through their high score initials that they left on various games. So all of this kind of combines to one compelling theory that, and I, and I love this theory because this is where my mind was kind of at before even uh, kind of getting to this part of the research. Mm -hmm. It's I like this theory because it does what not a lot of theories do, and it tries to, to thread the needle through a lot of different facts. But Brian Dunning, author, producer, and host of the Skeptoid podcast, believes that Polybius is the result of the unique combination of all of these circumstances, the circumstances of the, you know, the, the injuries and the FBI investigations, etc. Right. Because of the recorded injuries and the subsequent FBI raid in Portland, all within such a short time span, he theorizes that people have conflated the incidents over the years to form a narrative that this government monitored arcade cabinet that negatively affected unsuspecting players is kind of what Polybius is that it either became the fall guy for all of the other yeah. uh, cabinets that were causing health issues, or it just became the standout because it was new and unique and rare and disappeared. It could just be the one that people attach themselves to. Maybe it could have attached itself to any other game, but the fact that this one's so rare and doesn't exist and might've been just a pilot cabinet could have oh. com compounded the fact that people were like, oh, that's the oh the government was on that one and that one was what was hurting people yeah and i love that theory i i completely oh man that's a solid theory yeah that theory is solid brian dunning you you've you've done it again that makes <laughs> sense yeah totally forgot that yeah a lot of drugs and, mm -hmm. and and gambling and stuff like just very terrible things were going around right because they were rare maybe beta tested and never took off but then like wouldn't the company come forward or something like that to try and clear their name because i'm assuming that's a good point honestly it's it's hard to say maybe this uh steven roach was actually involved in some way maybe he was a uh, with his group of yeah. of young programmers and he was commissioned for this and maybe so so we don't have a direct connection to whoever commissioned uh steven roach right so the fact is like maybe this was a game enlisting uh so what do you say south american company hired them who mm -hmm. were all novice programmers uh working with things that they didn't fully understand made a cabinet put it down it got all sorts of wrapped up in this drama and either them or the south american company is like eh, you know what hands off ditch this we don't want to be a part of this fbi right. investigation or whatever and so like what i love so much about this theory is again what we see so rarely is that it does its best job to stitch together the very sparse facts if you will if you want to call them that there's a very sparse uh, stories that we have here and wraps it up honestly in my opinion very well um i can definitely see how you know the misrememberings really built up into this kind of moment of like Polybius being bigger than it actually was. You have people getting hurt. You have the FBI all over the place in Portland. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a perfect storm of of weird things. Exactly. It could make sense that they were right commissioned and they were as experienced, and that's why the game had all these crazy weird effects. And maybe even that was also blown out of proportion. Where people were like, oh, I have a headache, or you know what I mean, and then just blew that out of proportion. And it's like, oh man, this person had a uh, a headache and an, a crazy nightmare and, and mm -hmm. people just kept tacking on to stuff i mean that would that would explain why the you didn't have devs come forward and be like hey this is not like this is our game and it's not 
a part of some crazy conspiracy thing because I would assume that uh, your traditional like game development company would want to one make games and two continue to make games. Right. Um, they wouldn't just ditch and go. Uh, we don't talk about that. Maybe maybe they ditched and they rebranded, came up with true, a new name, true, and now they're yeah. now they're out there making Pac Man or something. Like I I don't know, man. But this is. I don't know. I really enjoyed this one. I really like this this mystery of Polybius because it's still so hard to know. Was this was this a cabinet that actually existed and it yeah. was just, you know, a rare cabinet and then it kind of petered off and then got built up into this urban legend or did it ever exist? Maybe maybe it never did truly exist and it was created I would love to know if if at some point there's verifiable evidence of this thing existing. But to this day, most people do claim that this is an urban legend. And I would I would tend to subscribe to that ideology um, because it it oh, but it's so fascinating. I really it's so. Yeah, exactly. It's so damn <laughs> fascinating. And, yeah, and we did start to get little bits of information, little tidbits here and there. Right. A little bit of this. With like, I know it was frustrating in the beginning. Like the, the the information is sparse on this puppy, but like, but it really wraps up really nicely when you start to consider the the drippings of facts that we do have. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's Polybius, man. That's such an interesting story. Very fascinating. Yeah. And like, you know, it's it's something that we completely um, are all about too because you know we play video games and whatnot. So this is yep. definitely like in our wheelhouse. But insane. Yeah. Would you play Polybius if there was verified proof that it existed and you had the opportunity to to step in there? I I would be the person that comes back after like a week after <laughs> some people. I I'd wait I to see if people woods. played it. Yeah, first. for sure. You don't want to be a beta test. You don't want to be an I alpha don't player. Work. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not alpha <laughs> testing this thing. No, I'm sorry. I'm just not. Yeah. I'll wait. I'll wait to see what people think about it. <laughs> But I won't be the first. Yeah, I don't. It's, honestly, I don't even know if I'd play Tempest. It's got a lot going on. There's and, a uh, lot happening. I couldn't even really tell what was up and down. But yeah, that's Polybius. And and the reason why I wanted to kind of talk about this now is because we know the Loki series is coming. Again, it's not a sponsor. Watch it if you want. Don't if you don't. But we recognize that there's a lot of little mysteries that show is going to touch on. They've already touched on D.B. Cooper in their trailers. I know we've seen some quick shots of Polybius in some of their teasers. And I, I'm really excited to see what other mysteries they might try to attribute to Loki traveling through time yeah you know i was like oh this is gonna be like a loki time traveling type of show i didn't realize that they would start touching on things like db coopers <laughs> you know what uh -huh. i mean like wait what what's going on here it's wild man i mean especially since db cooper happened in the american northwest uh you know around the oregon area this happened in the portland area right like mm -hmm. i don't know now i want to geek out on, on on marvel theories but yeah we'll, we'll do our best to see uh, and try to react to any of the mysteries that that show talks about and uh and maybe we've already covered them but we got you covered we got you exactly all right. Well, Fredo, I'll see you back here on Monday for another mystery. How's that sound? That sounds fantastic. If there are more video game based stuff, yes. If it's spooky stuff, I'm sick that week. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Christian, don't tell him. No, Christian, tell me everything. <laughs> All right. Bye bye. Bye.